0: The with your host, DJ Rome. Hey, welcome to the program, everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School. So ladies and gentlemen, tonight, oh, it's going to be a fully loaded program for you this evening. Coming up, we're going to have the good brother, Derek Smith. Mr. Smith is a federal civil rights investigator. He's also the author of the book, What Every Woman Wishes Her Man Knew About the Bible. And he's here to break down some things for us that you're all going to be very interested in. That's Mr. Derek Smith, y'all. And also coming back is my good brother, Mr. Jeffrey Keller. Y'all know Mr. Keller, Pochoa or Power, comedian, formerly with the NFL Atlanta Falcons. He's also very active in his community, ladies and gentlemen. He's here to break down the latest in politics with psychotic bump school so uh that's our show y'all so you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off so this is kcwg the my name is dj rome welcome to psychotic bump school stay tuned for more we'll be right back with our first guest mr Derek smith after this
1: Properly applying, living not dying My low income, these riders, yeah, yeah. some fly Beyond real, guess why, fruition Collaboration, enterprise Watch your back and get your sunshine snatched As the word became applicable Progress becomes undeniable Once again, wisdom, wisdom life begins, begins. Another storyline, me and these broke pockets of mine It's more than sunshine, sunshine. I'ma get my Proof to labor, belly pains like I'm in labor It's it hunger pains, it's time I'm to get, get the stock, stock to Change and change my gear, and last year to something new and improved Yes, we are back.
0: KCWG, the truth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, I have been engaged in so many facilitation groups that are helping our people to manage these treacherous times that we're in. And one area of concern that has emerged is people's interactions at work. And we are going into these respective spaces, sometimes armed with a lot of uh, stories that we've consumed outside of work that have carried over into the workspace at times to make us feel uh, a, a litany of emotions. And I'm concerned that people are having trouble making these adjustments on the workforce uh, in their respective spaces. So I wanted to talk to someone about it who has a little insight, in fact, a lot of insights. In fact, this brother's an expert. He's a representative of the U.S. Department of Labor. Uh, he's a federal civil rights investigator, uh, philanthropist, Uh, The good brother's an author. Um, He's authored an incredible project. And see if I can pull it up. It's called What Every Woman Wishes Her Man Knew About the Bible. This brother has done it all, and he's here to break some things down for us. He's also a chaplain. Uh, This brother is incredible. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Mom School, the good brother, Mr. Derek Smith. Mr. Smith, are you there? I am here. Welcome back, good brother. If I had a movie about this, I would call Mr. Smith Returns to Psychotic Bump School. How you doing? <laughs> <man>? <laughs> all right,
2: all right. I remember
0: there was like a movie it. way before my time, maybe it was in the 60s, called Mr. Smith Goes to Washington or something like that. I can't Mr. Remember. Smith
2: Goes to Washington. Yeah, like, I,
0: he's in it. I don't know who was in it, but I don't know. Jimmy
2: Stewart.
0: Oh, look at you, look at you. Yeah. What, what, yeah. what else is Jimmy Stewart famous for? Was that one of his more famous titles there?
2: It was one of his more famous titles, but the one that I I think is most famous is the Christmas story, It's a Wonderful Life. Oh,
0: look at you, man. So we we might as well add cinematic uh, buff, cinema buff to to your long resume of accomplishments and... Uh, areas of expertise. I would have never known that. See, ladies and gentlemen, we didn't plan this conversation. Right, right. right. It's like this brother just knows this stuff. Well, how you doing, good brother? Uh, I'm up in Northern California, down in Southern California. What's been the vibe down there where you are, man? Um, just, just a general update. I do a general check-in with people coming onto the show during these times. You know what I mean? So, as a brother down there
2: dealing with things, uh, how's it going for you? I think for me personally, everything is is wonderful. You, you know, you're still having some adjustments to the new normal that we have with the COVID-19 situation. But one thing I will say in respect to that is that I'm noticing a, a discernible easing of um the the standards that our government and and you know biological experts have been setting in in, in relation to wearing masks and social distancing, especially as the weather gets warmer um, and we get into summer. Uh, there, there's a, a easing of that, and I think that may have something to do with the numbers that we see that are, that are perhaps starting to rise again, and that's something I'm really concerned about.
0: Yeah, you and me both and a whole lot of people out there. Now, as a federal civil rights investigator for the U.S. Department of Labor, good brother, what would someone call you in to take care of? What does a federal civil rights investigator actually do?
2: If someone felt like they were being discriminated against on the job. Now, the the laws that I enforce, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, uh, being most prominent among them, these are the laws, the very laws that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and many others marched and fought and cried and bled and in some instances even died to get passed so i take it as a high honor and a a privilege and a responsibility to now be in the next generation that is tasked with now enforcing these laws Mm -hmm. um i I, for instance there was one one lady an african-american uh professor and if i said the university you you and all of your listeners would would instantly know it very prominent school Mm -hmm. and when you become a professor, you have so long, uh, you have an allotted amount of time to make tenure. If you Mm -hmm. don't make tenure in that amount of time, which I believe is either six or seven years, then you are, in a word, fired. Mm -hmm. She was coming up on her sixth year, and the university signaled that she wasn't going to make tenure. And she called me, and I looked into her matter, and was ultimately able i was not able to get her position back because the courts just don't uh respect that but i was able to get her a substantial uh six-figure sum that allowed her to comfortably bridge the gap uh into her next educational um employment endeavor Mm. and i was able to write that wrong and 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 you know press release and so forth the school is properly put on notice that they did discriminate against this African-American uh, female. And it was so blatantly obvious uh, that, that, as they say, Stevie Wonder could have seen it.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's
2: ironic is that no one ever admits, no one ever capitulates to the wrong. I think people still have that long-held notion that discrimination means riding around with uh, white sheets over your head and burning crosses on lawns. And and that's not it at all. It's that's that's terrorizing. OK. <laughs> Discrimination okay. Is, is so much more subtle. It's mm-hmm. treating someone in an adverse way uh, because of whether it's the color of their skin or their gender or, or their sexual orientation or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's wrong as well. If a person can come in and do a job, they should be allowed to do that job and earn that living and take care of their family, just like we all have a need to. Absolutely. I was, I was blessed to be able to help this lady and, and many others like her. Um, right now I'm working on a a case that if, if and when, let me not even say if, but when it manifests, it's gonna be probably the highest um, Dollar award in u s. Department of Labor history mm. um, and and this involves a group of women who are being uh, discriminated against and and paid less or doing the same work that men do. Uh, so so in employment, we just want to make sure that everyone is being treated the same. Absolutely. You know, you just made me think about something right
0: toward the end there. One of the first things, in fact, I think the very first thing that uh, President 44, Barack Obama, signed into law was the Lilly Ledbetter Act, which that is correct. focused on the uh, equal pay for women doing equal work, I believe. So the yes. fact that we're still fighting these battles 12 years later, uh, it, it should come as no surprise. It's disappointing, but it uh, gives me hope that people out you it's going to be people like you are out there fighting on behalf of what's right and what's just. And so also just in terms of a hypothetical, because you said if, and when, right. So since we're talking in potential hypotheticals, you know, I do mental health. And so I, in a private conversation with you, I kind of was asking some hypothetical questions about this time that we're in, you know, regarding the rise and COVID-19, as you said, which are, Uh, seeing some rising and spiking numbers across the country again. And uh, the fact that uh, Black people in particular are are perpetually traumatized by these images of police brutality uh, happening across the country, across the nation. And there's been global outrage regarding that. And the Black Lives Matter movement, just as one example, has never been more popular than it is right now. I think the latest poll that I saw uh, indicated that they had at least almost 70% approval rating across the country. It's never been that high. I think it was 76% last week, but currently it's still close uh-huh. to 70%, which is still an incredibly high number, given that this country never agrees on anything like that.
2: <laughs> not to um, that. Not to that level.
0: Not to that level. So I was asking you offline before we got on this call about the potential that uh, Black people in particular, the issues that they're going to face going back to work, Can you speculate out loud with me? Because I know that I kind of think out of bounds on this. Uh, The expectations that employers have of us is that we continue on uh, business as usual to the extent possible. And my contention is that that's going to become, and has become, and will become even more so, uh, that's going to contain a greater degree of difficulty for black folks. Um, What can you tell us about? how the law protects uh, uh, African-American workers during a time like this in terms of, you mentioned discrimination. Is there any protective clauses out there in the law that you're aware of that will enshrine black people against the possibility that they may lose their job during a time if they can't perform their normal duties during this time? Can you talk to us about that a little bit
2: or am I way off base? no you're you're right in my in my wheelhouse and the laws that are there are the laws that have always been there which basically say that it is illegal and it is prohibited for an employer to treat an employee adversely because of any race or gender or or You know sexual harassment or you know because you're a veteran or because of any of these protected constituencies a person with the disabilities uh and and so forth so the laws are already there what's going to happen um i suspect Mm -hmm. um i have many things i'm not a um prophet so i know but i do expect that what will happen is that there's gonna be a kind of a backlash, a boomerang effect. We really haven't seen that manifest yet because we're still Mm -hmm. um, quote unquote in the eye of the storm. Right. But as things die down and and people get back to whatever normal is, I, I believe that there will be some boomerang, some backlash as far as microaggressions and things of that nature against African American people. Now, I have to I have to caution that the employment sector is a little bit different than a lot of other, uh, you know, social institutions because you are there under a a understanding, if not a contract. You're being paid to do a certain job. Mm-hmm. And And even though a lot of jobs are at will, meaning the employer can terminate the relationship at any time or the employee can terminate the relationship at any time, Mm -hmm. but you still have a responsibility to uh, perform the duties of your job. As long as you're able to do that, then you are afforded the full protection of both federal law and state or city law. what a person has to do is be able to be educated and aware as to what some of those things are. Because what I find is a lot of employees, they don't know that anything has happened until it's happened. Right. And what I mean by that is you might call me, but you've already lost your job and I can help fight to help you get it back or get recompense if if the law has been violated. But in the meantime, you've still lost your job. Right, and the legal process is not a microwave process. It it's a slow cooker. Oh, yes, Absolutely. you know, and people need to be more aware on the front end of the little things to look for to say you, you know and document things and and when something doesn't feel right to you, you have to kind of trust your your gut sometimes. This doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know? and 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 take notes and those kinds of things. But um, I I do think that 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 Boomerang is going to come. I'm reminded of the time when the OJ Simpson trial, Mm. um, the the very day I was in downtown LA, the very day that the verdict was announced. And I remember talking to a lot of people, uh, friends, my mom, some of my mom's friends. And they were saying that, you know, white people that we were really friendly with, Mm. before the verdict the days and weeks after the verdict these same people that we thought were our friends started to shun us how about that because that was a very if you remember that was a very polarizing yes decision and, and there were very noticeably decided lines drawn on a, a racial basis mm-hmm. Not as much the case now with the COVID, and and there is a racial component to the, to the COVID that I'd like to mm-hmm. touch on going along. Sure. But as it relates to the COVID and the um, racial um, struggles that we're going through right now, right now, you even, um, you, you know, you see a lot of Caucasian people are participating on what I would like to think is the right side of history. Right. So it's not, it's not just African-Americans, um, Latinos, uh, Hispanics alone, but you see a lot of, I'm struck by how many white faces I am seeing in these marches and these peaceful protests. That's right. That's right. It, it does my heart good because we need to have every person on board loves righteousness mm-hmm. speak out you know some people say well if you're silent you're complicit mm-hmm. say nothing you know well that doesn't affect me but it will affect you at some point oh yes oh. hate hate doesn't have any restraints to it the mm-hmm. hate in this country if there were no black people in this country uh the hate would turn to the next thing mm whether it's Hispanics. If there were no Hispanics in this country, it would turn to the Asians, and we have historical documentation to know this. It right. would turn to the American Indian. And if all of those constituencies were gone, the, the, the people that hate would turn on other white people. That's right. They would find some reason to be divisive and then use that reason to, to espouse their hate.
0: Hmm. So, yeah that's just what do they call that the uh the pecking order or the you know how the the law that in nature it's the hierarchy of survival or something like that i can't think of what Survi-
2: survival talking. of the fittest survival of the fittest
0: yeah it's always uh, a pecking order there's always somebody lower than you on the food chain that's the word i'm looking for there's a yes. there's a, a, a racial or cultural food chain that always seems to come in play. But this is KCWG, the program it's called Psychotic Bum School. I'm DJ Rome, we're speaking to the good brother, Mr. Derek Smith, federal civil rights investigator for the US Department of Labor. So you just touched upon some really important things. And I wanna um, tap down a little further on one or two of them because I think it's important right now that we don't sort of overshoot our load and fight the wrong battles at the wrong time. You said that oftentimes people come to you uh, after the fact, they've already lost their job. They're already experiencing a loss of wages, and I'm wondering what you're implying by that. Uh, had they been more informed about what their rights were uh, before it got to that point, I'm wondering what difference would that make. Can you tell us briefly what what are some of the rights that people need to come in mind or keep in mind? Because it's kind of like surviving a police stop. You need to know what your rights are, but you don't need to litigate your case right there. Uh, with a police officer, you know what I'm saying? The most important thing is that you make it back home. And when it comes to work, the most important thing right now, at least in the short term, is that you don't lose your job. So can you give us a couple of tips about what employees' rights actually are that they can keep in mind as they're uh, possibly facing the difficult moments of having to return to their workspaces and function during this time?
2: Yes, I'll I'll say two specific things to to that point. And the first one is is very simple. and It's simply that you have a right to be treated equally to everyone else in your organization. Now, that doesn't mean, necessarily mean well. Uh And what I mean by that is, Uh that's an interpretation, first of all. What, What does well mean? Right. Because... He's a good boss me, mm. or, or uh, you know, usually that means that I'm getting over. Mm-hmm. I'm being true. But you ask the next employee in the next cubicle, maybe they have a different opinion. So what I'm what I'm leading up to when I say that is that there can be someone that you can agree, you, you know, this person is not the best. You know, they don't have the best personality. They don't have the best social skills. They're a micromanager, you know. They're, they're you know, militaristic, or you you can use a host of terms that would have a negative slant on them if you were the person um, that is subordinate to them. Mm-hmm. And that's not illegal if that person treats everyone equally mm-hmm. bad. Then there is no violation of the law. Mm um now you can take that to an extreme and and get into criminal uh situations but that's not at all what typically happens at work but you know someone maybe th- this person is a is a smart aleck or they're very sarcastic or they're very demanding or or that type of thing if if they treat everyone that way then it, as bad as it may be that's not a violation of law because no one is being discriminated against. No one is being singled out um, because you are this. You are this race, this color, this ethnicity, whatever those protected. Because there are certain protected categories. It can't be that, oh, so and so just doesn't like me. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not a protected category. Your race your color is, your gender is. Your veteran status is your disability statuses, your now recently your uh, your your orientation status is so mm-hmm. those are the types of things that have to be examined and that's where it becomes a challenge because we can we can clearly demonstrate what happened, mm-hmm. but to answer the question of why it happened did it happen because you're black, mm-hmm. or did it happen because you're always late to work and, you, you know, and you happen to be black. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that kind of teased the boss off because it throws the whole schedule off because I can't run my line. I can't manufacture my product unless everyone's on the line and you're 15 minutes late every day. Mm-hmm. And you have a baby, but we start work at eight o'clock, not 8.15.
0: Now that's a, de- uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a, a excellent um, defense. I know you're not making a defense, but that's definitely uh, employer speak in terms
2: of the, well, we still have a job to do, uh, Mr. Smith, right? And so- Well, I'm, I, I, am, I am giving an example of what might might actually, and is often actually a defense for the employer. If the employer can make it a work-related, situation then it's going to probably be legitimate the employee has to make it something other than work related
0: exactly and now how do you prove an intangible it's kind of like proving a negative in this case we're talking about uh, the the factor of race perhaps and that my contention is that um, black folks are going to have an increasingly challenging time conducting business they will do it Mr. Smith, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we have yes. to, we, we, you know, many of us are not in a position to where we're ready today or tomorrow to walk away from our jobs because we've created these multiple streams of income that are certainly <laughs> lucrative for us. Uh, right. That's the dream, but we might not be able to do that just yet today. And so it sounds like though the the higher burden of proof is on the employee that's making the claim that they are being discriminated against because people are being insensitive about what black folks are going through. Uh, it sounds like that's not enough to overcome the burden of protection or the, the the barrier of protection that are afforded or is afforded to employers who still reserve the right to exercise uh, the terms of their contract um, to either suspend you or put you on a warning or even ultimately terminate you. Um, it just seems like um, there's a lot of handcuffs that uh, will short circuit that process. And I'm not even sure if that's the real fight in terms of, I just want people to know how far they can expect to go with with, with a charge like that. And it's something that I've been thinking about, or um, are they barking up the wrong tree? And uh, cause you know, we'd also don't want to be accused of crying foul at every turn. You know what I'm saying? because <laughs> You know, what I'm saying? Right. there's there there's real discrimination cases out there that need some legitimate le- attention. You know, women are discriminated at a, a you know, in a gigantic rate. Yes. You know, relative right. to men. So we, we don't want to take resources away from that fight and that cause. But at the same time, I watched Black AF on Netflix <laughs> with Kenya okay. Barris and everything was black. Everything was about black. It's because we're black. And we're experiencing a lot of things during this highly. Um, Racially charged time because of the, the 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 polar effects or the polarizing effects of what this nation is going through right now, and so I just want black people to be armed with uh you know a, a injection of realism so that they don't expect too much because right now it sounds like if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like um, yes, what we're going through is uh, a challenging time however we have work to do and we sign those contracts. Now those contracts could be renegotiated, I'm guessing. Well but, however, we shouldn't expect too much in terms of having the legal shield of the law on our side. Uh does that make any sense?
2: It it does, but I, I would I would say a couple of things. Uh you, you said a lot in that mm-hmm. last um dialogue. The first thing I, I it, it's not that the law is on anyone's side or against anyone mm-hmm. uh, is there to protect those who who need it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the first thing. If if the if if you have been legitimately violated, discriminated against, then the law is there to recompense you, to make you whole, to make things right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first thing. But the second thing, you asked a question earlier, and it made me think of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick from the you know New England Patriots. And one of their mantras and I always respected this team for this, was do your job. Mm-hmm. Do, do your job. Mm-hmm. That, that is the, the, the first and greatest protection against anything um, adverse happening because the employer... It's going to have less ground to stand on if you can demonstrate, hey, you know, I've I've been to work every day. I'm on time. I do my job. I am um, socially responsible. My communication is fine. I'm not um, obstinate or, you know, disrespectful. I I receive, you know, commands or orders or instructions. Uh, Well, there's just nothing for you to point at. Mr. Employer. And I I have to share a a little story. I I had a time where I had to sue an employer myself. Mm. I believe my background lent itself very well to that because I knew how to put the case together. And I was able to succeed in the case. Okay, tell you what,
0: can we get that story? Let's take a real short break. I want to hear all about that. okay? Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, KCWG, the program's called Psychotic Bum School. I'm DJ Rome. We're speaking to the good brother, Derek Smith, federal civil rights investigator. Stay tuned for more, y'all. We'll be right back after this. Yes, we are back. KCWG, program is program's called Psychotic Bum School. I'm DJ Rome. We're back again with the good brother, Mr. Derek Smith. Mr. Smith, you are about to tell us about an experience
2: you had. Can you go ahead and finish that? Yes, it was an at, at employment situation where I actually had to File a a lawsuit against my employer because of discrimination. And why I was able to prevail in that was because, A, because of my background, I know how to put a case together and present it uh, before the court. But B, it was because of my background up to that point. And many of the things that my former uh, supervisor was saying was just patently not true mm-hmm. for instance there was a time she she gave me a reprimand and because she's building a case to try to fire me right for some personal reasons mm-hmm. and she writes me up she gives me a reprimand saying i missed a deadline the deadline date was like december 21st mm-hmm. the, the write-up was december 18th mm-hmm. so if you catch that, the 21st hadn't even come yet. Hadn't come yet, right. But in her zeal to try to, to catch me, you know, she made a lot of mistakes. But the other more important thing was I had been on my job at this point in time, uh, maybe 15 years. Mm. And I was a top performer every single year. Until, mm. so this person became my supervisor. And on a dime, my performance went from being A+. Plus to D minus overnight, mm. so you're looking at this on his face, and you said, "How could this be? How could this this person? I mean, did he have some type of traumatic event in life? Did he have a car accident, or you know, did he have a divorce, or is he suddenly taking drugs or something?" And the answer is no, 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 right He's the same person. Mm-hmm. So when you can demonstrate that you're doing what you're supposed to do, and and you have that type of, of background then you're gonna be able to prevail. Okay. Most employees don't either have jobs that if, if you're someone who's working on, a, on an assembly line, uh, you know, companies may not even give out performance appraisals, for instance. Mm-hmm. So you don't have any paper to say, you know, that I'm doing my job, it's just you have a paycheck. But you have to try to get ways as an employee to get on paper, um, that you are actually doing the job. That's right. As much as you can do that, that's going to pay off in in spades for you. If an employer decides that they want to come for you, you Absolutely. have to show. You know, my, my attendance is perfect. Mm-hmm. My, you, you know, I, my I'm on time. I've never had a write up. Mm-hmm. So just basic things, um, but you need to be able to show that. Absolutely. Is you know, all employers are are required to put up certain information about employees' rights on bulletin boards and in public spaces, lunchrooms, um, you, you know, bathrooms, gathering areas, and so forth. But most people, including myself, I, I pass by these bulletin boards in, in my office and rarely, rarely read them. Mm. And I'm the guy who puts them out, right? Mm-hmm so right. i already know what's in them so that's that's i guess part of it but mm. most employees they're oblivious to the, you're oblivious to what you don't need that's right until Didn't you find need yourself, it right? yeah you find yeah. yourself in a problem mm. and you're scrambling now you're kind of behind the because see that manager they've been plotting for the last two months mm. on how on, on how to structure what they're doing to present it to you mm-hmm. and you get hit all of a sudden with all of this information and your head starts spinning and, oh my God, and you kind of don't know what to do. One right. thing a lot of people don't do, which is so simple, read your employee handbook. Yes. Get one when you come on on board. You, usually uh, employers will have you sign for it. Sometimes they don't, but either way, read it. Mm. Know, what's, know what's in it so you know what your, your limitations are. I had a person call me just the other day asking about, um, there was a situation where there was a rumor being spread that a particular employee had, uh, caught the virus. Mm-hmm. And so now other employees are kind of worried about it. And, you know, the gossip mill has taken over and it gets back to the manager. And now the manager is upset with these other employees. Mm-hmm this employee called me and he said, well, you know, does the manager have a right to be upset with me type of thing? And I don't understand Mm -hmm. what's going on. And don't they have to do X, Y, and Z with the employee? And I said, well, let me answer that this way. The manager is probably upset because companies have a responsibility to maintain privacy Mm -hmm. of of employees, especially in, in medical, you know, situations. So, The fact that that person's medical uh, history is is being freely discussed, that's a troubling thing. That's going to be a troubling thing for a manager. So Mm -hmm. that's why they're upset. Um, And then that kind of, you know, because I I put that person, I put that employee, the caller, in the other person's shoes. Now, let me ask you, if if you were diagnosed with, with AIDS or with cancer, you know, HIV or or MS or something, would you want everyone discussing work? Mm-hmm. I guess not. And if, you know, the light bulb started coming on at that point, I said, so the manager is, is probably upset for that, and as long as, I mean, they're just upset, they're human beings, they have a right to be upset. Right. Past it, they're, they're, has anybody taken any action against anyone? Has anyone been suspended? Uh, your hours getting shortened or anything? Uh, well, no, nothing like that, and so okay, well, you know all's well, but you probably want to stop being part of the the gossip colony right again, just do do your job if you hear something, just keep it to yourself, you're not there to gossip That's you right. gossip about it goes back to what the Bible basically says, treat other people, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically mm-hmm. treat the people the way you would want to be treated mm-hmm um. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that's what I would say. Yeah. Though. You have a job to do, yeah. but try to educate yourself up front on what your rights are. That's right. And, and what the policies, because the policies are what drive management behavior. Mm-hmm. So the, those are the two things I would, I would yeah. tell, I that's tell good people stuff. all the time.
0: Absolutely. That's good stuff, man. Cause basically we got to play our positions, you know, we, we can't slack off and we can't, uh have a we can't be conscientious objectors if you will uh not, not on the go, job you know what i'm saying not on the job people not on well, the job. I, I have a right to free speech not on, not on the job not on the job not on the job all right that's good stuff man thank you man uh we got a few minutes left and uh you you are a very philanthrop- philanthropic kind of brother if i could say the word right philanthropic there you, you do go. a lot for your community you do a lot for um uh people on the workforce and you, you have a really, really giving heart. Um, and, and I guess that's, uh, no better place that represents that is in your authorship. You're a creative uh, author. You've written this amazing book called what every woman wishes her man knew about the Bible. And, uh, with a few minutes we have left, uh, you've actually cited some, um, sightings from the Bible since you've been talking with us during this, I can tell it's interwoven into the very fabric of everything you do. Good brother. Uh, yes. What did you want to share with us about your book last time you were here almost two years ago? I think maybe more uh, it was yes. just in the works and now it is finished uh, What can you tell us about the status of this book and uh, its tenets? What did you want to share with us today?
2: Well, I, I, I think and um, you, you know, being a being an author being a pastor being a uh, police chaplain I and, and and working in state prisons, I, I get to see a a uh, probably a more wide array of society than the average person. Um, and one thing that, I, that I've noticed over time and that I've experienced myself in my own community is that um, men, fathers, are lacking in our communities, especially in our um, Black communities. Mm-hmm. That, that was really what a lot of this book was about, about men stepping up and taking their rightful place as God intended us to do as leaders of our families, of leaders in our communities, as leaders in every segment of society, because if fathers are absent, it throws the whole structure of society off. It causes women to have to pick up more of the slack. And then that kind of knocks them out of their natural role as, as nurturers and and you know that part of the family. If the man is not there providing, which is what God calls us to do, and protecting, which is what God calls us to do, then the woman has to assume that role in addition to what she was naturally created to do. And that's that's just a hard. Thing to do, but there's some some stunning statistics. And, there, and even in, in this COVID age, you see some stunning statistics that um, you know, from a racial standpoint, of the effects of the absence of fathers, of the effects of of you know different health outcomes, educational disparities, uh, society as a whole, you know, um. Someone said that COVID 19 is uh the great equalizer. Mm. But it's not it's not an equalizer at all. I would submit that it's actually a magnifier. Mm. What I mean by that is that this virus has magnified the problems along racial lines that we've had in this society, um, really since its inception. Mm -hmm. Look at, for instance, the average uh, employer, or excuse me, employee income. Mm -hmm. It is directly inverse to the COVID rate. And what what do I mean by that? Mm -hmm. In 2018, Asians were making, uh, on average, eighty-seven thousand mm-hmm. dollars. We're making on average seventy, almost seventy-one thousand dollars. Hispanics, fifty-one thousand dollars. But African Americans, we're we're well at the bottom, at forty-one thousand three hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, the COVID rate is inverse to that. We have. Three hundred thirty-six, uh, you know, positive tests per hundred thousand. Hispanics only have two hundred seventy-one. Whites one hundred and ninety, and Asians ninety-five. Mm-hmm. When you when you look at these statistics, mm-hmm. is that, you know, based on race, the negative impacts are directly opposite, or they they mirror what's going on in greater society, um, educational outcomes. Are you know that's the same thing. You, you know we we graduate fewer people in African American community, so we're going to ipso facto right make less money, and and you know our health outcomes are are the same. And we need to change. We need to have fundamental change. Once all of the the shouting and the marching is over, we need to have fundamental change in our educational system and our health care structure and our employment section. And I heard someone say, you know, this is not even an an equal rights issue, but it's a civil rights issue. You you know, it started out as a civil rights issue. Now we want equality. In the 60s, we just wanted to be treated civilly. Mm. Now we're demanding equality. We have to have a equal seat at all of these tables. I'm, I'm reminded of a story Um, and it's called The Race. And I don't know, you've probably heard it, and I'm sure some of your listeners have as well. But there's a group of teenagers at the starting line, and they're getting ready to run 100 yards. Oh, yes, yes. And the coach says, well, if you come from a two-parent home, Mm -hmm. five steps forward. So, you know, out of 10 guys, maybe three of them take five steps forward. You know, if you live in a single family house where you have, you always had your own bedroom, take five steps forward. Mm -hmm. They take five steps forward and they, they ask a few more, you you know, questions. Mm -hmm. If if you have a brother or sister who's gone on to college, uh, take five steps forward. Mm -hmm. You have no one who's ever had an encounter with law enforcement. Take five steps forward. Mm -hmm. You have no one in your family who's had a baby out of wedlock. And when it was over, the only people that took five steps forward were Caucasians. Mm -hmm. The black kids and Hispanic kids were still at the starting line. Right. And then the coach said, now you look at this, this is how society is. So it stands to reason if everyone else or if certain people are, getting such a great head start mm-hmm. on you. How, how can you legitimately compete in the marketplace, mm-hmm. in the educational space? You, you can't. You can't. You've been disadvantaged from the start.
0: So what should we do? We, we got a few minutes left. What do you propose we do in terms of uh,
2: action steps to close that gap? I, I think we, we need... More legitimate leaders, and we need to put pressure on our institutions, on our politicians, um, on corporate America, because corporate America is is such an important part of this. On the media, as well, we need to hear positive stories of of positive African American outcomes. Absolutely, there's a lot of that in 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 society, but that doesn't get brought to the top by the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. You need to hold companies accountable. Yes. They discriminate against um, our, our, our people. You know, we need to have an educational system. I know right now in California that the uh, Prop 109, I think it is, is being uh, revisited, uh, maybe 209, But the one that is for affirmative action, which was struck down about 20, 21 years ago, they're looking to um, re-institutionalize that again. They're going to put it on the ballot. And I'm hopeful that it it passes because I remember when it was voted down that immediately the next year you saw a drop in attendance for African-American students of about 50%. Mm -hmm. 50% 50% less students were going to public taxpayer-sponsored universities than there were the year before. And that, that's impactful. If you can't get access to good health care, if you can't get access to good education, if you can't get good access to food. I, when I, I lived in Detroit some 15, 20 years ago, and the first thing that struck me when I got off the freeway was that there was not one major grocery store within the city limits of Detroit. Wow. Not one Kroger, um, which to people on the West Coast, you might know it as Ralph's. Ralph's is owned by Mm -hmm. Kroger. It's Kroger in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. We had, you know, mom and pop shops and, you know, maybe secondary or tertiary type community stores, but you didn't have one major chain grocery store. Mm -hmm. Got across 8 Mile, and I say 8 Mile, some people will hear that reference and think back to the movie Mm. um, with Eminem, and 8 Mile in Detroit is the dividing line between the haves and the have-nots. Okay. On one side of 8 Mile, it's cloudy and gray. But Mm. when you cross to the other side, the sun comes out, the the flowers are blooming, and the bees are pollinating. Mm. Kind of take that and run with it. Yeah. And no talking about so there were you just see these disparities everywhere Mm -hmm. everywhere um the the ancient mime and the uh uncle Ben's they've the the companies behind them have have now decided all of a sudden to discontinue that Mm -hmm. Um, and i i i gotta admit i never really paid a whole lot of attention to it it was just part of the fabric of society but Mm -hmm. I've been starting to think back as to how uh, discriminatory that was. And I came across a, a advertisement from the 1950s, I think it was, and the story showed a white family called the Joneses, and the Joneses are there, and the father and the children are talking about how the mother is not very good at making pancakes. Mm. So here comes Aunt Jemima, mm-hmm. Black lady. And the article says that them show do needs me mm-hmm. in family to make them. So it was just, it was just caricature. It was right. black race. It was, it was blatant racism. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've grown up with. So, I mean, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that these companies are making these changes now, but I, I do suspect that they're doing them more so not out of benevolence or, or, of, uh, okay. a new awakening responsibility but because of the bottom line right but i'll take it any way i can get it well that that's the
0: exactly i mean we have to i agree remain cautiously optimistic and vigilant to to continue to hold them accountable and i think it's also okay to reward incremental behavior toward doing what's right and uh benevolence uh notwithstanding we hope we're doing it and we hope they're doing it for the right reasons that doesn't dictate what we do and continue to do. We have to keep pressing on. Uh, good brother Derek Smith, uh, we're just about at that limit. Good brother, what's the best way for people to uh, find your book and to keep in touch
2: with you if they need to? They can find me on Facebook um, under Derek Smith Arthur. They can email me at smith, derek, d. That's S M I T H D E R E K d at yahoo.com there you go and the name of your book again is what every woman wishes her man knew about the bible come on now so
0: much rich stuff in there thank you good brother this is kcwg the truth.com's program's called psychotic bum school i'm dj Rome. that was the good brother Derek smith y'all stay tuned for more we'll be right back after this
1: Yeah, this is Jeff Keller from the Pocho Hour Power on KPFK 90.7 FM. And you're listening to the Psychotic Bump School with your host DJ Rome on KCWGTheTruth.com. The best internet radio station on the planet. Oh, yeah.
0: Yes, we are back, KCWG, TheTruth.com. program's called Psychotic Bum School. I'm DJ Rome, and if you hear the chuckle in my voice, ladies and gentlemen, that can only mean that one person's on the line with me. Y'all know this, brother. Pocho Hour of Power every Friday afternoon, one of the top-rated radio shows in Southern California for years and years and years, formerly with the NFL Atlanta Falcons. Uh, he's a community activist. He's a, 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 a social justice uh, warrior or a restorative justice advocate. Oh, man, this this brother's doing it all. This brother's been talking to the police lately, ladies and gentlemen. I got to hear about that. But ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Pump School, the good brother, Mr. Jeffrey Keller. Mr. Keller, are you there?
1: Hey, man, I'm
0: just Keller, your friendly ghost, man. (laughs) 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 Boo! Oh man, I was talking to a brother about uh, the title of my show. It's like, yeah, it's it's P Funk, it's Bootsy, but Bootsy was like, Just like Casper, man. How about that? Bootsy, baby? It's visionary, right, baby. baby. Oh yeah, baby, bring it on down, baby. <laughs> well, Jeffrey Keller, how in the world are you doing, good brother? Man, I did, I've i been busy, brother. it has been crazy. I know. What you've been up to, man? You you were saying you've been trying to, you've been attending, not trying, you've been attending rallies, you've been going to protests, you've been talking to uh, law enforcement people. Uh, what's been the latest in your world, man? I want to talk some specifics about what's happening with this election coming up, but uh, tell us about what you've been into lately.
1: Yeah, I was invited to come talk to about 20 officers uh, at the Santa Monica Police Department about race relations mm. and i basically did it like a a community circle um so i told my story shared my story and all of a sudden officers start sharing their stories okay and from sharing their stories we started talking about community policing why they came officers they became officers because they were talking to police and how they need to start putting officers back in parks so they can talk to kids and and, you know, it was beautiful, man. It's, you know, and some of the stuff they, they brought up, you know, I had stuff for them. You yeah. know, like one officer's like, well, you know, LAPD's trying it and they wanted, they wanted to fund them. I said, well, hold on now. You can't have the head of the LAPD say that the rioters and looters are worse than an officer that put his knee on George Floyd's neck. Mm. Once you do that, you've lost all the trust. Of all the citizens in LA,
0: man, how did they respond to that? They're like, "Yeah, you're right." <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, what can they <laughs> say? It's true, hey, you're right.
1: Yeah, and then they started talking about their experiences with the LAPD, and mm-hmm. so you know, we put it all on the table and came up with some stuff. So it was, uh, it was when we got done, the lieutenant was like, "That's the best meeting we've ever had." Wow,
0: wow. Um, I don't know if you tuned in, but we most recently had an officer, uh, an African-American brother, who's in law enforcement right now. And um, he laid out some things, man, very concerned. Did they speak specifically to what's happening in terms of uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, Elijah McClain in Colorado? Uh, What did they say in terms of how they expressed their feelings about those uh, cases there and how the police handled those issues? Did they get into any specifics like that?
1: Well, you know, they're like, they're making us look bad, right? They're making us, making our job harder. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, if you are out there with the community Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you have the trust of the community, your community will say that may be their officers, but that's not ours. Mm -hmm. And since your office, since your community doesn't feel that way,
0: Mm -hmm. you have
1: more work to do in the community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So overall, uh, the, the receptivity that you felt from them, uh, what type of headway uh, did you feel like you made with them? And, you know, what did it do in terms of your optimism that we could overcome this barrier between the relationship between the uh, police officers and the communities that they police?
1: Well, you know, first of all, if you can get officers, I mean, how many people can say they got officers to open up to them and tell their stories?
0: None. Only Jeffrey Keller can do that.
1: OK, so when you do that, that that's accomplishment right there. That's true. And then when they start talking about community policing and we need to get back to it, we stopped two years ago. We don't know why. You know, there's things we need to stop. There's things we need. To, I mean, when they when they're listening mm. to me talking about the LAPD and then they're like, yeah, we've had problems with them coming over here. So they're agreeing with me. I mean, you know, they, they want to bring me back to talk to the whole department now.
0: hmm. Wow, that would be amazing. Uh I don't know if you heard uh in NYC. I mean, I didn't mean to talk this much with you about the police, but I had just suddenly okay. recalled that you you did this. This is great. Um, do you remember the the police union chief in New York City saying he wanted I mean, this was probably two or three weeks ago. He was like, Stop treating us like animals. Uh we're being vilified in the press and it's not fair. Uh, did you happen to hear that?
1: No, but if, I, if, I, if he did say that, I would say, now you know how black people feel.
0: All right, check this out. I don't, we're gonna see if we can hear this. This is uh, the, the, the union chief from uh, the police department in New York City, okay? Stand by, hold on. Yeah. Good afternoon.
3: 375 million interactions with the public every year. 375 million interactions. Overwhelmingly positive responses overwhelmingly positive responses but I read in the papers all week we all read in the papers that in the black community mothers are worried about their children getting home from school without being killed by a cop what world are we living in that doesn't happen it does not happen I am not Derek Siobhan they are not him He killed someone. We didn't. We are restrained. And you know what? I'm saying this to all the cops here. Because you know what? Everybody's trying to shame us. The legislators, the press. Everybody's trying to shame us into being embarrassed about our profession. But you know what? This isn't stained by someone in Minneapolis. It's still got a shine on it. And so do theirs. So do theirs. Stop treating us like animals and bugs and start treating us with some respect. That's what we're here today to say.
0: That's what they're there today to say, good brother. That was from a few weeks ago. I'm trying to find this guy's name. It's Brian something. Uh, What are your thoughts on that, uh, Mr. Keller?
1: First of all, the thing that catches me is he just thinks that, okay, so... They're afraid that kid, black kids gonna get murdered. No, she's afraid they are just gonna make it home. Come on. Okay, he doesn't. He didn't say anything about being harassed, being illegally searched, being illegally stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being harassed. Th- these are the problems that they don't get. Right. They don't understand. Until so you being caught, treated like an animal. Who, who in the, in the public does not believe, can 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 get an officer and and, and hold him. Mm. And charge him with anything illegally and pull him over and harass him and write him tickets and make him feel like he's lesser than a man. What what person can do that? Right. Right. Okay, so him just speaking like that lets me know that he's clueless about what's going on on the street in his communities. You know, another thing about this is, hey, when stuff goes on in the police department and they know that they got dirty cops, they don't say anything. They keep quiet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what's so frustrating uh, that that was police union chief president uh, in New York City, Michael O'Mara. Mike O'Mara. And uh, he was speaking out because after two weeks of protests, Jeffrey Keller, he, he had had enough. He said he got tired of being vilified in the press. But we had an officer here last week and, uh, you know, a brother, he was saying he's outraged as well. Now, to his credit, Michael O'Mara did say he what happened was disgusting but and no buts i mean good for him for at least acknowledging that but at the same time um the accountability like you just said it's like we just want accountability Mm -hmm. and we want people to be held accountable for what they do when they mess up that's it that's all people are on the streets because they feel like these cops even in minneapolis are gonna walk i heard the cat the cat still has his pension that he's gonna be able to have access to when all They always the- keep their pitching They yeah. always keep their pitching Yeah, and then I know, okay, so I'm jumping around a little bit, because um, I was gonna ask you about some of the things that have been happening in terms of giving us some hope that things are changing as a result of all these protests and whatnot. Uh, did you happen to hear about um, Minneapolis voted, the, the, the city council voted to uh, remove the police? or abolish the police. Uh, Or defund
1: the police. Uh,
0: I don't know if they use that specific language, but they're talking about, they've been actively pursuing this for some time, even before all this broke out. And so they said that it's an abolishment of the police. And so let me, I'll pull up that article too. But that happened. Oakland Police Department voted to remove police officers from schools. Now there's been a lot of discussions about that. And so it's important, I think, Mr. Keller, for people to be on the right side of history with this. People are tired of the same old, same old. And so one thing that the officer on the show last week said that, yeah, we're all guilty, you know, meaning that if you're an officer, you know, people are you're, you're presumed guilty just by virtue of having the uniform on. We know there are good cops out there. We know that there's some out there that don't uh participate in this and that there aren't races we can't say they're all racist for sure nobody can say that but at the same time like you said it's like what happens to these good cops when the bad cops are around them and they're messing up and so there was a farmer who spoke out about bad apples it's like do you know what one bad apple can do
1: (laughs) well the problem is this their bad apple takes lives oh see okay that's that's the problem we we' paying them tax dollars to keep us safe mm-hmm. not to be judged during an executioner, yeah, and once you do that, like I have a problem with police in schools. I don't think they should be in schools i mean the school the school is not it is not a prison right it's not a detention camp mhm, and mm-hmm. so what you're telling me is is this is the school has a problem about getting better teachers, better principals, better psychiatrists, better nurses, and and a better way of dealing with the kids. Mm -hmm. It's not a community school at that point. And they need to bring the community in, and let's talk about community schooling. That's what we really need to talk about. I remember one time I was at a school, and the black parents brought me in, and they wanted me just to beat down the school and you know, say yeah, the teachers are horrible and all that. And I said, okay, let's say I agree with you. What are you gonna do to fix it? I said, mm-hmm. I could tell you what you can do to fix it. You got 30 P parents in here. Mm-hmm. One day you can do math at your house. One day you can do English at your house. One day you could do writing at your house. One day you can do math, you could do you could do art at your house. When, when your child is cold, you get him a jacket. When he's hungry, you feed him food. And when he's starving for education, you give it to him, and you supplement what the teachers aren't doing.
0: Mm. Wow. I bet they weren't ready for that recommendation, Mr. Keller.
1: No, they don't, they don't do that, but they don't understand. Other, other races do it. Koreans have Saturday school. Jewish people have Saturday. You know, they have school after school that they have to do because they supplement their kids' education.
0: Mm. That's a great point. Great point. Well, uh, what you call community schooling. I don't think I've ever heard that before. And it it just changes the entire framework of what the role the community can have on the future, uh, you know, our future leaders, our future citizens of the world, because community policing, that ain't worked out too well so far for for, for us, for our folks. Uh, How much optimism do you get from the the media like the the TV show Cops, which I start. I mean, I never watched the show. It's been on forever. Uh, it got canceled. Um, the in Mississippi uh, over the weekend we just had, uh, they just voted to remove the Confederate emblem from their flag. Uh, things are changing, Jeffrey Keller. Uh, you, you've been on the show a few times. Um, do you take any optimism from the fact that? with the onset of the George Floyd and its aftermath, uh, do you think things are changing for the better, slowly yet surely? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like when they, when they get rid of like cops, because cops is demeaning and, and, and is, it stereotypes black people. So when white people watch cops, they think all black people are like that. And so it's a way to manipulate the masses. So I'm glad that they get, got rid of that again and then with the confederate flag again it's to it's to demean black people every all this stuff is to demean black people mm. right and so as they as they remove them they are removing you know the emblems the symbols of racism and that's what it's what bus- when people go well how about the confederate flag? well you know what it represents mm. it demeans black people do you not understand that well that's our culture well then you're telling me your culture is You like demeaning black people because it makes you feel superior. Come on. So you, you have to listen to what people are saying and know what symbols mean so you know where they're coming from.
0: Wow. This is KCWG, the troop.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're talking with uh, the good brother, Mr. Jeffrey Keller. Uh, speaking of that. Um, hey,
1: Rome, let's go back to community schooling, though.
0: Go back. You know, go back.
1: Community yeah. schooling would be beautiful because you bring all the parents in. Mm-hmm. You, have the, you have the administration there. You have the teachers there. And they all talk about what their expectations are. And they do it in a way where everybody agrees. Mm-hmm. The, the parents agree, the students agree, you know, the principals agree, the teachers agree. So when when a a student doesn't act right, the parent can't say anything because all you can say, hey, remember, you agreed that you would do this, this and this. Mm -hmm. So it takes away, you know, all that negativity towards kids and it also takes away the negativity towards teachers administration because everybody agreed to do it. Yes. So you can't say you didn't know, you can't say it's not fair, because Mm -hmm. everybody agreed to it. Absolutely. Well,
0: I'm thinking that parents have an entirely new level of respect for educators now that they've had sheltering in place and distance learning, and they found out how hard it is to actually keep kids engaged. And so community schooling would be a a fascinating departure from what's been considered the norm. And just imagine if we had an all-hands-on-deck approach to that, you know, educating yep. our children and having IEP meetings where you have a psychologist present, a, a general education teacher present, uh, a regular education and special education teacher present, uh, specialists and an administrator all in someone's home, all working on behalf of a student in crisis. And what if the student doesn't have special education services? You just show that type of uh, that, that show of force on behalf of education and learning and building people up. That would make a very, very powerful statement. I hope that I against
1: traction. And, and I would say this, you would have less IEP meetings. Come on. Because now a lot of those kids that that they they they, they you know that they identify. hmm All of a sudden they're not identified.
0: Absolutely. And because as you
1: know, like I know, yeah, most kids that are in special ed are be, it's not because they're not bright. They just weren't taught. Right. Those tests just show how what you don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't show what you know or have you been taught it. Right. They just know what you don't know. So they say, well, you don't know this because, okay, so you have this learning disability, that disability. Mm-hmm. And I, I've worked with those kids, and I've got those kids from a first grade level to a fifth grade level. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they don't have an IEP no more. And I'm like, right. well, what was the difference two years ago? Oh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. They were taught.
0: Yes. Systematically, one on one. I did that too, Mr. Keller. Um, During my time in uh, Southern California, I worked in a a classroom before becoming a psychologist, and I had responsibility to enforce or execute anyway, a reading program. So every day I'm calling students over to the small table to read with them one on one. Guess what happened to Mm -hmm. their reading levels by the time Mm -hmm. they they hit their benchmarks? or report card time came because I, I kept notes. It works. And you know what else increased? Hmm.
1: Their writing levels. Okay, come on. Because now they know they're reading the census. They know what the sentence looks like.
0: That's right. Okay, they, they, they
1: know what words look like. Hmm. So now they know how to spell words. Right. Oh, it, it increases everything,
0: enables them to make sense out of the census.
1: Oh my God.
0: Using all Wait. the census. Using all <laughs> the census.
1: <laughs> but see, these are all things that a lot of government officials don't want you to have. Because they learned in the 60s, when people become intelligent, mm. they come together as a mass group. Yeah. And now they can figure out the game that's being ran on them by government. Wow.
0: Um, so how much of them? these issues, do you, do you think this stuff is on the ballot? Because we have an election coming up in a few months. Um, how prominently are these issues being put forward by either candidate in the race right now?
1: No, neither. They don't. They don't want. That's why I said government. They don't. They don't want you to be intelligent. You know why these kids are marching. You know why these kids are really marching. Mm-hmm. What the craziness is? Because a lot of them have degrees. They're going to college, and none of them had jobs. Well, and so now they are sitting at home and they're watching TV. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing what's going on. And now they're getting a black history lesson. Ooh. Now they're seeing what's really going on to black people. Now they got a the time to sit down and watch and go, you know what, this isn't fair, why hasn't anybody ever told me about this? Oh. Now they go out there and march, and now government sees that, and now the police see that, and now they have flashbacks to the 60s, mm-hmm. where P, that's the closest people came together, marching with Martin Luther King. It wasn't just black people, it was Jewish people, it was white people, it was Asian people, it was Mexican people, everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's their biggest fear, government's biggest fear, that all people will come together. Right. Because when we do, we're not fighting among ourselves. We're fighting for the rights from government.
0: Mm. Uh, You make a very fascinating statement. Uh, One of our guests last week also was a 400-meter hurdler, uh, Journey Woodward out of LSU. Mm -hmm. And she was talking Mm -hmm. about that very thing. She's only 20 years old, Mr. Keller. But she was talking about the fact that even at her age, she felt bad because she had her rose colored glasses on. And she's only 20 years old. So you don't really expect anybody to be conscious and woke and following the news cycle all the time. But again, like you said, because of all this stuff happening right now, people are out of work. And because of coronavirus, people were home and sheltering in place for the most part. And even if you didn't go back to work, people were unable to look away from what they were seeing in the news. And so, yeah, right in front of our eyes, we witnessed a lynching. And we finally saw, well, we, when I say we, I'm saying collectively as a nation, uh, some, for some reason, they needed to see it like blatantly in their face before they realized how bad it was. And the fact that black folks haven't been exaggerating all this time. But for for some, it's like, it's kind of like the equivalent of, um, growing up and realizing, you know, dang, mom, dad, I didn't know the rent was this high, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I didn't know the cost of living was this high. It's like, yeah. what do I do? How do I compete, in, you know, on this playing field? And I, I, I got to be able to get a job. It's like, dang, I should have paid attention in school, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like waking up and screaming that people are finally waking up to this and they're realizing that, man, I've been sleep All this time, and yet I've been telling you for years. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, it's crazy. I've had you know white people call me up and see if I'm okay. And -hmm. after listening them talk for twenty minutes, I'm like, no, they called me to see if if they okay. Well, come (laughs) on, come on, because they tripping. I mean, you know, black people, we're gonna be okay. We've Mm -hmm. had slavery, Jim Crow. We marched in the '60s. We've had the crack epidemic that was. You know the CIA put it in what CIA really stands for crack in America you know you know they I mean think about that your government extribu- you know distributed crack in black neighborhoods and let it be distributed in black neighborhoods and told the police to let it be distributed in black neighborhoods to ruin black people. Mm. think about how deep that is very deep. How deep and then you're gonna go ahead and have Reagan's war on drugs and you're gonna have the crime bill to further separate and ruin black neighborhoods this is your government
3: Mm.
1: okay this is not stuff I'm making up people can Google this they can watch a movie called uh, kill the messenger I mean I did an interview with free a Rick Ross this is nothing made up this is real stuff and so when you go through all that Mm. a little pandemic yeah Shoot, we're like, this is nothing. You got white people freaking out, about, I want to wear a mask. I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want, I, I, I cannot go to the beach. And, but wait, we're like, wait, hold up. But we dying. Right. <laughs> and you worried about going to the beach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Oh man, We're
1: going to be okay.
0: We're going to be okay. Well, I tell you, I mean, little things like this pep talk you're giving us is, is uh, something that gives us hope. And the fact that you mentioned Ronald Reagan a second ago, and uh, there's another Regan that was recently trending on Twitter when his daughter came out and said, hey, don't vote for my dad, because this dude is crazy. I mean, he's he advocating sure for all kinds of uh, racist policies. And um, people are, you know, whatever. I mean, we've, we've been telling people for a long time how things are, and we've been encouraging people to vote and get, become a part of the electoral process Uh, Even if you're skeptical, I mean, this is no time to be sitting on the sideline, uh, in my opinion. I don't know where I got this quote from, but I'm going to lay this on you real quick, Mr. Keller. It says, uh, quote, Black voters know white voters better than white voters know themselves. So, yeah, we'll back Biden because we know who white America will vote for in the general election in a way they may not tell a pollster or the media. Unquote. So I I quote that because right now uh, the Democratic candidate is demolishing the current occupant of the White House in the polls right now. And there's a sentiment out there that people are experiencing uh, 2016 PTSD, you know, and it's, it's Hillary Clinton all over again, that she was way up in the polls and that we're just setting ourselves up for another major disappointment. Uh, what are your thoughts on what you're seeing in the polls right now and the prospects of a uh, change in administration come November 3rd? Mr. Jeffrey Keller.
1: Well, let, let's look at let's look at what, what's happened in the past. Okay. Let's look at why Obama got elected. Why mm. did Obama get elected? Well, because Bush jacked up so bad. <sighs> come on. The white people said, let's give the black dude a chance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, how bad you got to mess up when white people say that? Yep. So Trump saw that. Now, they looked at Obama as kind of elitist. Why? Because he's talking about, "Looking, we need to get rid of some of these coal mining jobs because now, you know, it's all it's all about getting your education and, and, and jobs are becoming technical. And so you have to advance with times. Right. Mm-hmm. So people are looking at it going, well, you know, he's forgetting about us. So then Trump comes in and goes, you know what? there's a section of class that's not being spoken to.
3: Mm.
1: There's these coal miners, Mm. there's these roofers, there's these everyday people that feel like Latinos are taking their jobs, that black people are taking over, that they're not being listened to. And he said, you know what? I'm gonna talk to those people. Mm. And that's what he did. I'm gonna build a wall, Mm -hmm. Right? We're going to have the prisons. I want these cops to hit the black people's heads on it. They need to go to jail. If anybody in the Middle East comes, I'm going to wipe them off the map. You know, you want that coal mining job, I'm going to save it. Wow. So he spoke to those people. Mm -hmm. Those people, that's why he said, we're going to make America great again. Because of those things, he's speaking. I'm saying, we're going to make America white again. Mm. Because he was speaking to those people. But he didn't know. By speaking like that, that he was also speaking to white educated women. Uh oh, because that's also who voted for him. What so about they this had little racism in their mind, and not even did they have racism; they had sexism. And the last thing they wanted to see is a black man or a white woman back in the White House.
0: And people, so what are I think is going to happen
1: this time? Yeah, what I think is yeah. going to happen this time? Yeah, I'm telling you, what I think was going to happen to him. He's still talking to those same people, and yep. I would, I, I would say Biden was going to win. But I don't trust Trump. Hmm. I don't because now they're going to start redlining. They're going to close polls. Yep. They're going to close post offices. You know, his daughter, you know, owns part. You know, owns a a, a patent. You know, to the voting machines. How that is possible? I don't even know.
2: Oh, wow. You know.
1: There's too many. It's it's like a football game. One team is supposed to win over Mm. another, but Mm. then there's those tangibles that happen during a game that we don't expect. Yep. And then all of a sudden, the other team wins. And that's how I feel in this. Sure, Biden is favored, but Mm. there's tangibles that, you know what? I don't know. I could see Trump win because of those tangibles.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you, and people hedge their optimism against that potential reality, and it's, it's a real one, because we know what they're gonna do. Just like you said, they're gonna suppress votes, they're gonna close voting stations, they're gonna suppress the idea of voting by mail and make it seem like there's a higher potential for voter fraud, which there's absolutely no evidence of widespread uh, occurrences of that. Uh, we know that, but they're gonna try everything and pull out everything in the cheater's manual to get this guy back in office again. Now, what about all that uh, silent majority stuff that they talk about? Because I'm convinced, Mr. Keller, ain't nobody polled me, you know what I'm saying? So I'm a part of the silent majority, well, aside from this platform, I suppose, but he is banking on the fact that the silent majority is going to carry him over the line again. Now, do we think that there's not a silent majority on the other side too, who now sees this guy's record and what record can he campaign on, Mr. Keller? He's, he's doing those same dog whistles that he tried in 2016. He hasn't pivoted one bit, hasn't updated his message. He was given a softball question the other day from Hannity, and he couldn't even answer what his plan is for a second term. So given all of that, what, I mean, I understand people are hedging because they're cautiously optimistic for a favorable outcome. I get it. I'm saying there's going to be a landslide If we do our work what do you think about that
1: no i don't see a landslide man okay you know that's that's like being favored by three touchdowns in the super bowl and then your team loses Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's those tangibles man you're not looking at the tangibles that's what remember the hanging chad come on now what's the
0: hanging chad I'm traumatized already just by hearing it. What in the world is the hanging chad, Mr. Keller?
1: That's how, that's how George W. Bush won. Because they said in Florida they had the hanging chads. What in the world is that? For the voting, you know, where, where you vote and the chad hangs and you pushing up through who you're voting for and not coming all the way off. What? Do you know about that? No, I'm not hit to that. Oh, dude, in Florida. Let me tell you what they did in Florida. So, so, they, so, so they would stop black people from voting. Oh, God. So they went to the Attorney General, and the Attorney General said, This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, I'm going to go ahead and do a general search on Rome DeVase because he's got a felony. Mm-hmm. So a general search means this I'm taking every Rome DeVase off the voting ledgers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And so now, when those other Rome DeVase go to vote, their name's not on there. Mm-hmm. So they don't get to vote. Right. And so that's why they won Florida, because they did a general search on names and took off of tons of black people off the voting registers, Absolutely. off the voting rosters. And so they had police in black neighborhoods knowing that black people would be upset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons they won Florida.
0: And wasn't his brother the governor of Florida back then, Jeb?
1: Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. There's, there's these tangibles where I'm like, dude. I don't trust them.
0: I don't either. But the, the difference is, and the reason why I'm saying that, first of all, um, I do agree with you, but I'm also engaging in some um, some lighthearted trash talk because I I don't want our spirits to be sunken. I don't want to be in the sunken place for four months waiting for this magical comeback from the other side, because we know the race is going to tighten. You know, if you, if you just go by the polls, you know, it's going to be an October surprise. There always is and i already know that the intangibles are what people are banking on to make this a competitive race so i'm with you on that i'm saying this because people are demoralized and they're in shock and there's a lot of people that are still to this day despite everything that's happening they're still saying they got to hold their nose to pull the lever for the democrat and i'm saying we can't go in like that. And I'm saying we, I am not affiliated with a political party, ladies and gentlemen, I am not. I'm down for black folks. I'm down with people who are oppressed. I'm down with the people that are on the downside of justice. That's who I'm for. And I'm saying that I don't want to go in with my tail between my legs to cast a vote in November when I know one side is far weaker than the other. and they need to be framed that way. Have you been seeing those videos by the Lincoln project where they've mm-hmm. been just putting up these incredible ads and responding to everything that the current occupant says or does? As soon as he says something silly, they put up a video and it goes viral quick. We didn't have that in 2016. We got Republicans that are rising up to speak out against uh their guy now he's never been their guy they they've never you know these are never trumpers and i'm here for it carly fiorina remember her Mm -hmm. carly fiorina who ran for president in 2016 she also tried to beat barbara boxer a few years ago and lost but she ran for president why do people who lose a race think they a local race think they can become president beta o'rourke
1: okay anyway um if reagan (laughs) can win they figure anybody can win you know what
0: i'm saying it's like, come on.
1: But the Von Schwarzenegger can win. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you got to win, though. It's like they, you know, it, it's, it's only certain people in society that can fail going up, you know, and you know what I'm talking about. But Carly Fiorina says that, I don't know what, she, she voted for 45 after he, you know, attacked her, her looks. Oh, yeah. You know, said you know, why would you vote for somebody with a face like that? It's like how insulting. She still voted for him. And now she's saying she's not that's gonna he, vote for him.
1: But see, that's why he can say stuff like that. You see that? That's why he gets he can cover. Say. He gets cover. And she don't want to vote for a woman. How cold is that? That's a man clowns your looks mm-hmm. and you still vote for him because you don't want to vote for a woman. Right. That's
0: hate. <laughs> she's saying now though, they have to twist her arms. But she did say, she did give a yes when somebody said, you know, there's only two people in the race, Carly Fiorina. So if you're not voting for him, there's only one guy left. And she said, well, yeah, if those are the two options, then yeah. I mean, she didn't flat out say, I'm voting for Biden, but, you know, she's saying that she's going to vote for him. So I'm saying, Mr. Keller, that's what we didn't have in 2016. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then we have, uh, uh, Rvat that that's like Republican voters against Trump. I mean, mm-hmm. they they have there's so many elements out there this time, and then you couple that with uh, the protests that have been happening, the fact that Black Lives Matter has never been this popular before. I think two weeks ago they were almost at eighty percent popularity across the country, and I think over the weekend they're still as almost high as seventy percent.
3: Mm-hmm. We're
0: not that unified on anything in this country. And those are the issues that are gaining traction or have gained traction. And I guess that's one thing that he could be credited for. He's brought a whole lot of people together to rise up against them. And so I'm saying for those reasons, if we play our position and we don't get overconfident and we leave no doubt and run through the tape and look, what was that video game, Double Dragon, or was it Mortal Mm -hmm. Kombat when the, 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 the guy is wobbling and it says, finish him. (laughs)
1: Him. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: if we run through the tape, Mr. Kelly, and again, this is trash talk because again, it's like it, it's it's a psych job. They want us to think that he is invincible.
1: Well, well we know he's not invincible. After we, he walked off that plane after after that one. <laughs> Did you see the rally? Did you see rally? <laughs> <that>? <laughs> He Mr. looked Clark. like he looked like he just got knocked out by Tyson. I mean, he was just wow. demoralized. Yeah, uh, but I hear what you're saying. But this this is the deal. Okay, all that stuff that you're talking, yeah, has to turn into votes. It does. And so what we have to do as a people is make sure those same people marching, them same people putting up videos, the same people watching the videos are going to go to the polls and have an opportunity to go to the polls to have their vote counted. Mm-hmm. That's what we have to do. We have to be one step ahead of the game. We can't be satisfied with the numbers. We can't be satisfied with the money. That's just groundwork. Now the real work is coming in now. Yes. Now we got to keep an eye on the polls and make sure that they stay open. Now we got to write our our senators and our congressmen and them say, hey, this is what we need you to do. We need to make sure that the post office are going to stay open, we need to make sure the polls are going to stay open. We need for you to get get whoever you got to get out, your state police, I don't care, and make sure that black people, brown people, women, and people of color can vote and they're not being harassed. And make sure that it's being counted. Whatever they have to do, they got to get it done. That's what's got to happen. This is just seeding. All the stuff you mentioned was just seeding. Now, we got to water it and make sure that it grows.
0: Yeah, we sure do. We sure do i think there's going to be a ground sale. i think we're going to water those roots and if we do everything that you just said i don't think there's going to be a, a chance of a second term now there's even a contingency to say remember we had uh i i reached out to dina becker i wonder how she's doing i remember she said she don't even think biden will finish the race something's gonna happen to him he's gonna have to drop out you know of course at that time uh the democratic nominee had not yet been determined and bernie sanders was still a contender um however uh some are saying now that hey this guy might not even make it to november because he just doesn't want to face that shellacking and with all this news coming out about um these these troops getting um getting a hit job on them by russia and the taliban in cahoots with Putin, man, the, the the call for corruption is going to rise, you know, even higher now. And well, so, he didn't know. He didn't. Know. Nobody told. I didn't, him. I didn't know. It ain't my fault, you know. Yeah, a,
1: that's the thing. Instead of saying, "Hey, you know what? Thank you for telling me, and now that I know, I'm going to take care of it." Mm-hmm. See, that's not who he is. He's like, you know what? I didn't know, so it's not my fault. Let's move on.
0: Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. It's, a
1: yeah. it's, a, it's, it's the worst reality show in the history of America.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm hoping that uh, we're in a, a whole new era of uh, reality. And uh, the K-poppers, you talk about getting out the, the vote. Uh, it was K-pop that helped troll his uh, Tulsa rally. And Mm -hmm. they purchased tickets. I mean, they had some impact, but the 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 majority of the impact is is this. He made people sign a waiver that they couldn't sue him if they caught coronavirus. And there were a whole lot of tickets available. So yeah, K pop did have a role in the turnout, but a whole lot of people could have shown up.
1: Yeah. They could have got tickets. Because they're they're just reserved. They're not, you know, they're not sold.
0: Right. Right. So the fact that he was not able to fill that arena, uh, people are finally, his own people, in a deep red state like Oklahoma, Mr. Keller, that was deep red Oklahoma. The -hmm. fact that they didn't want to risk their lives and they rightfully sat out. I mean, essentially some lives were saved by the turnout being what it was, but they don't see it that way. You know, everything is about a zero-sum game with them. Everything is a competition. Well,
1: they're, they're saying that, that the protesters weren't little men or people didn't come because they were afraid of the protesters. Mm-hmm. Not that they were afraid. That's how they spun it. Not right. because they're afraid to catch the virus, but they're afraid. Basically, he was saying was they're afraid of black people. Basically, that's what he was saying. black people.
0: You see that uh, he's, uh, over the weekend, he's putting out pictures of people who've been tearing down monuments and trying to get them arrested. And but, but who, who's he
1: talking to though? Again, he's mm-hmm. talking to the class that he feels not being represented. Yep. Who cares about Robert E. Lee?
3: Mm. Okay, right.
1: Let, let's be real it's that class that's under that they feel are underrepresented. Mm-hmm. It's white people, right? That's who cares about that, right? Right, and so right. he's just speaking to them when he does that. I'm going to protect your monuments. Mm-hmm. Well, you know the south lost the war and they were fighting against the union in the united states of america you do know that don't you
0: <laughs> well i can't uh I, I normally don't like to uh celebrate people's uh disappointments but uh this was classic um check this out this is uh the it's dubbed the walk of shame and uh it's called how uh how he felt that night check this out so ladies and gentlemen that's a slow motion walk slow motion walk from the helicopter after the rally uh baseball cap in hand suit disheveled tie open um the fact is there's a golden opportunity to, um, to to make a difference. Don't take anything for granted, go out and vote, do what you gotta do to educate yourself up, learn from history, but don't be in a state of PTS 16 shock. This is not 2016 and this is not the same candidate. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an opportunity that we cannot pass up, Mr. Keller. I can't thank you enough for being here. Uh, what's the best way for people to follow your work, good brother?
1: Man, they can get me on uh, Instagram or Twitter. My mom's white is 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 what it's is the name or Facebook Jeffrey Keller. Uh, you can also catch me on Fridays three o'clock on ninety point seven FM KPFK. I also got a podcast that's called uh, "So You Think You Have Problems." Mm. And I will be talking to, I just got invited to talk to, do a Zoom class at Washington State University Hmm. on race and relations. Um, They heard me speak on a sports podcast, and so they're going to have me talk to a class, a communications class over there, and also talk to the football team. What? So,
0: so Keller, you're like an ambassador of peace, good brother.
1: Man, you know, I just this is something I've done my whole life. I mean, the first book I read when I was seven was "Soul on Ice" by Eldridge Cleaver. Ooh, uh, you read that at seven years old? Seven years old, man.
0: What? Soul
1: <laughs> on Ice so
0: nice <laughs> man i'm learning so much about you today mr keller
1: <laughs> and the only reason i read it was it the only this is why i read it because it's the only book that had a black person on it
0: <laughs> wow that, that says it all well we love you brother uh keep up the good fight you always give us hope and uh keep swinging man uh we're winning we're gonna win this good brother we're gonna win this
1: so keep, doing what, you're doing. keep doing what you do
0: you too with people out there like you man we we ain't gonna lose this one brother well that's our show y'all psychotic bump school is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome. I wanna thank you for joining us this evening. Check back with us, we shall return next week. We're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Also wanna send a shout out to our guests, Mr. Derek Smith, and of course, Mr. Jeffrey Keller. And I also wanna send a shout out to Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here y'all, take care.